we're live. Welcome to today's episode of MicroConf On Air. As always, I am your host, Rob Walling. This is every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. We live stream for about 30 minutes and we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to value and maintain healthy relationships. We believe that showing up every day and shipping that next feature, next piece of marketing copy or closing your next sale is a way to build a sustainable company. So thanks again for joining me today. It's been a couple weeks. Last week was Thanksgiving in the US. And so we I gave producer Xander the, the day off. And of course, it, it doesn't make sense for me to get on here and, and try to do it without the expert tutelage of, of producer Xander and his production. So Crypto Fanatic, I think it's a Crypto Fanatic. Do we have a typo in, in my lower third? For those listening on the podcast, welcome every Thursday morning. We air these episodes on the MicroConf podcast. You can head to microconfpodcast.com or search for MicroConf in any podcatcher and you can hear these hear these these episodes. Producer Xander says tryptophan is the chemical in Turkey makes you sleepy. That's right. So I'm a trypto fanatic because thanks and all that. Thanks. Thanks for that, Producer Xander. Got a great show today. I'm super excited to bring on a first-time guest to MicroConf on air, but not a first-time guest to the MicroConf world. Mr. Lars Lofgren is a many-time MicroConf speaker. He's also a tiny seed mentor and all-around good guy. He is the CEO of Quick Sprout which you can check out at quicksprout.com. He's a former director of growth at I Will Teach You To Be Rich, where he worked with Ramit Sethi, and he ran growth for Kissmetrics. And Lars' specialty is has been content marketing and SEO for years and years, and he's one of the OG content SEO people that I heard about back in the day. If you recall, Kissmetrics' blog was the leading blog. It was the example everyone looked to in our space in terms of a blog that was driving a lot of traffic, a lot of engagement, and just something that we, I think a lot of us tried to model our own content strategies at. And Lars was the essentially the man behind that, that effort. And so with that, I'm going to welcome Mr. Lars Lofgren to the show. How's it going, sir? Hey, Rob. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. Good to chat with you again. Lars and I have known each other for years. I don't know. What do, what do you think we met? 2012, 2013? Something like that. Yeah, one of the yeah. earlier micro comps in Vegas when I was actually living in Vegas, which is a whole other story way, way, yeah, way back. You didn't really, every time, and every time we came to Vegas, I'd see you and be like, hey, still like in Vegas? Because you, you did well, not no, like going there. I, no, yeah, I can't stand it. Yeah. You're, you're up in the Pacific <laughs> I'm Northwest now. Yeah. Yes, yep, it's a much better fit for my overall immensely sunny disposition. I yeah, like the rain. Totally. Cold, so. <laughs> when folks ask me about you, because it's something a lot of people don't realize is we see some kind of more, I'll say celebrities, but it's just people who are popular who either have their own podcast or their own personal brand or their blog, or they do a lot of podcast interviews and we just hear their names a lot. Folks you and I know and you know have spoken with at MicroCom, mm -hmm, yeah. Jason Cohen, Aheaton Shaw, Dan Martell. They're big names in the space. You have chosen not to do that, I think intentionally, because you certainly yeah. have chopped to do it and the success behind you, but you're an understated, like you're a tactician and you get in and you just wreck shit, you get it done, you grow big things big really quickly, but you haven't been, I think, uh, uh, immensely self-promotional or, or building like a, a personal brand. Has that been a pretty yeah. deliberate choice on your on your part? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, for a little while I've entertained it because you can obviously do a lot of things with your career and you can, whatever you build, just having that personal brand and audience, like you can just get started so much faster, right? It's, there's so many advantages to it. And most of the companies that I was involved in and built marketing programs around, like there were personal, really heavy, really intense personal brands that were foundation that we ended up launching off of. So I've seen that. I know exactly how that works, what it can do for a company or whatever someone's trying to accomplish. But at the end of the day, I, I just, it's not me, right? I like to, mm -hmm. I want to go work on the business. Yep. I want to drive revenue. I want to go build stuff. I don't want to like just run the speaking circuit. I'm happy to do right. it if people find it helpful and I get an invite, but like grinding right. that out and playing that game, it's not that it's a bad game. It's just a different game that is not as good as a fiction. Totally. Yeah, it's just not it's just not your thing. And for folks at home listening, you've worked with Neil Patel and Heaton yeah. Shaw and Ramit Sethi and others. And yeah, you've seen it from the inside. That's the thing, man. I was on Twitter, it was probably about a month or two ago, and I, I just keep seeing the hey, build an audience before you build your product. And I, I think that's an am amazing advice for info products. If I'm going to sell a course or a book or any of that stuff or a, a coaching, yeah, you need I'm going to, I, yeah. I, people got to know and trust me, all that thing. If I'm going to build a SaaS app from the ground up and I don't already have a personal audience, I was, I just don't think it's worth the time. And when I look at people like you and Ruben Gomez and frankly, like 80 or 90% of the SaaS apps that I see get into the seven or eight figures, they don't build yeah. an audience from the start. They might build a launch list. You build an interest list in the app, but it's not about the person. It's not about the story. It's about blocking and tackling, right? It's paid ads, it's content, it's SEO, it's cold email, it's sales. It's you know all the stuff that you do to scale an app. And I just don't, I have, have enjoyed watching you succeed without having to, again, start a podcast or, or be a big uh, personality. And that's true. I agree with all that. In fact, if you go the personal brand route, some businesses, you learn a lot of good lessons and it feeds into it really well. Consulting, if you want to write books, info products, certainly like they, they tend to gel and actually are almost required. But for other businesses, you learn a lot of bad habits and you end up, yeah. it forces you to go a route that's not congruent with what the business model really needs in the long term. And I, I do see a lot of people learn those bad habits and then the business suffers later for it. SaaS doesn't need any of the typical personal brand stuff. It's nice like if you have it, great. The early days can be faster, but there's if you don't have it and you're considering building that stuff from scratch, honestly, there's way more effective ways to get your first five customers, your first 10 customers, to get the ball rolling. And if you do that kind of the non-scalable direct route, you're actually going to learn way more about your mar market, what the business needs, and you're going to get a much healthier foundation. Because I have seen businesses go sideways because uh, they leaned on the personal branding and the audience love too much. And they ended up delaying some really core fundamental problems that kind of nipped them later. Yep. Very cool. Let's dig in. We got a couple. First, I got a comment from Mr. Justin Jackson. He says, Lars, miss arguing with you at the bar at Microcon. <laughs> yeah. Smiley face. So I'm sure you guys had a great it's conversation a there. And then, and then we have a, a question from Kasra from feedbackonsite.co. And he says, it's a bit of a long question, so I'll read it. He says, what is a good content marketing routine for a solo startup founder? And then he adds some additional information thinking like considering aspects like publishing on your own site versus guest posting for popular publications in the niche. And I would even add versus posting on Medium like a lot of people are doing these days. The ratio of educational to promotional flavor or any other tips that come to mind. So let's start with that. 
you know, maybe with the first general thoughts you have on as a solo founder, which a lot of folks, a solo founder with maybe a contractor or two or a solo founder with no employees, yeah. that's what a lot of folks watching this are, are thinking. What are your thoughts today on how to build that up? Yeah. So obviously I'm going to, my opinions are my method. There's multiple ways to win in this game, but I'll give you a few quick tips that I would do personally. First is fuck medium. <laughs> I never post anything on medium. I never want to post anything on medium. I want nothing to do with that entire site. In my opinion, it defeats the entire point of content marketing. If you want to go play a social network viral game, go play on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and or Twitter or whatever, and go actually play that game. Medium is this like weird hybrid where you get all the work to content marketing, but like none of the long-term benefit and you get this ephemeral like social network type pops. So then the ROI on the content is just really wonky. But anyway, that's my opinion. Fuck Medium. I don't like it at all. But if I was, let's say I had some SaaS startup that I was just trying to get off the ground. We had some paying customers trying to, and I was committed to content marketing. The first thing I tell people is, only do content marketing if you like really love it and you as a founder have a deep passion for creating that type of content. Because content content marketing is a long-term game. It takes years and years to pay off. You will never feel the payoff until you forget about it and then look back after a few years and you're like, wow, this really is helping the business. So if you don't stick with it, you're never going to get there. So if you feel like you have to do content marketing and that's why you're getting into content marketing, then you should probably go do something else. This also applies to the type of content that you're considering, right? There's podcasts, there's, con there's actual blog posts, there's YouTube videos. All of these mediums are very valid and can work exceptionally well. The key, whether or not it actually ends up helping the business, especially for a solo or early stage, like bootstrapped startup of some kind, is if the founder is actually dedicated to that medium for the long term. So if you are way more interested about videos, then go do YouTube. If you're way more interested about podcasts, go do that. Don't force yourself into writing blog posts when you really want to do something else or vice versa. And then, so let's say you checked all those boxes, like you're committed to content, you don't care if you ever like see the results, you just feel like it's important and you enjoy doing it. And then you also enjoy the actual, you know, whatever specific channel you're going into. A good starting cadence is publish something once a week, make it high quality, try to talk to your customers directly, prospects, folks in your market, answer the, like the evergreen questions that they're going to have this year and they're like they have this year, they're going to have next year. So the content is not going to really decay really fast. And then, yeah, just keep doing it week after week and try to get better at it. There's obviously a ton of nuance and tactics and secret, well, maybe not secrets, but just like little tweaks and all that stuff. But the key is consistency and creating high value content over a long period of time, not getting distracted, which a lot of folks do. They tend to quit six months in and that's not even enough to get started. Long game. Yeah. And in terms, let's say someone did want to focus on building a, a blog or building a bunch of, yeah, I'll just say with the blog, they want essays. Is it true in your experience that today, longer content, Google is valuing that more than it used to? Yeah. As a general rule, there are exceptions to this. The main thing I always go back to is search intent. So every little keyword is a very unique funnel where the people plugging in that keyword have a different set of expectations. Sometimes people really want the crazy in-depth, just endless amounts of content on that subject. They want to go deep. Other times they just want the quick answer and then for you to get out of the way. It's like everyone, 
you know, it's now a cliche to when you go to a recipe site, you get this long story about their grandma and where the, the, the recipe came from. And no one really cares about that shit. Like they just want the recipe and then get back to cooking. And you know, there's places for that content and you do need some authority and you need to add value on the page. But you can do that in a way that's not getting in the way of uh, what people are actually looking for. So it's very keyword dependent. And this, I always go to the keyword itself, see what people are looking for, what other pages are ranking and then I back out from there. Sometimes it's nice and short. Sometimes you want to go really long without additional information as a starting rule. I'm all, I always like to go in with roughly 2000 words. Uh, you can always add more. You can always cut if you have a really good reason, but if you don't have a reason to do one or the other, then start at 2000 and go from there. Got it. And I, I want to call something out that you and I have talked about several times, but a, a listener may not have picked up on in your mind content marketing is all about SEO. It's much, oh, much, yeah. much yeah. less about the social and uh, I'm going to put it on Twitter and it's content totally to pop. You're yeah. in, right. That's what Kismetrics, the blog was about. That's what the Ramit Sethi stuff, that's what you're doing today, right? Is this evergreen? I want a ton of organic search traffic on a monthly basis. Yeah, we, we actively do not promote any of our blog posts. <laughs> Like currently today, <laughs> Twitter accounts or Facebook accounts. We don't have any of this shit. I don't even know if uh, we, we actually have a Quicksprout Twitter account or maybe some other user has it. I don't even know and I don't even care. Back in the day, you can do basic stuff. If you have a company and you have a pretty well-established SaaS company, you have a whole marketing team. Should they be emailing your users or their marketing list about a new blog post? Yeah, probably. But in the early days when you just got to be like scrappy and super lean, I don't worry about that stuff at all. Like it's all, it is, it's all SEO backwards. So I'm not thinking about trying to like create some, like a bunch of noise in the space. And it's not really like thought leadership. It's you know, what are the keywords? What keywords can I rank for? And how do I build a site that's powerful enough in order to rank for those keywords? And so it's always it. keyword backwards. And so if you were to take a, a keyword and search for it in Google, a key phrase that you want to rank for, search for it in Google, and a bunch of the top ranking posts are really long, would that influence your decision to go really long? Because Google is, in essence, choosing those over short form. As a general rule, yes. There's always this balance between you want to... You want to give that individual like keyword market exactly what it wants. Like you don't want to go left when they want to go, but you also have to differentiate yourself with what's already been done just enough. So there's that balance and, and how far to differentiate, you know, it comes down. It's very nuanced based on the actual keyword. And it's, honestly, it's a lot of judgment calls. You know, like we know this about this topic. We know we have all this other research and we, you know, we compete with all these other keywords in the same general category. We know people generally want to go this direction. And maybe because we have all that extra information, maybe we can do a hard left and we totally break the norm and go super short when everybody else is going long. Other cases, like we don't really know about this market at all. It seems like people are want the longer content. That makes sense. Maybe we start there and try to differentiate ourselves in a smaller way. So it's, again, it is very topic and keyword based. And there's a lot of nuance keyword to keyword. Yep. And I think Kazar, to wrap up his question, part of it, he said, what is the ratio of educational versus promotional or, or salesy content that you would put out if you were doing a blog? And I was going to phrase it as like, how do you think about it, Lars, in terms of top of funnel, you know, middle of the funnel and bottom of the funnel content, if you're with around Quicksprout or maybe on a SaaS uh, blog? 
Yeah, so as a general rule, start at the bottom of the funnel and work up. Because the bottom of the funnel, that's where all the revenue is. If you had, um, I'm sure if you spend like any time in the space, you've heard that where it's like stupid ROI stat around email. It's like email produces 42x ROI or whatever ridiculous percentage it is. And the only reason that's the case is because email's at the bottom of the fucking funnel, right? People are already on your list. They're already in your orbit. They're already aware of the problem. They already have some trust in you and they're on your email list. So yeah, when you send them email, do they respond and click through and buy? Yes, because they're all the way down. You can't compare the ROI to like Twitter or Facebook or something at the very top. It's just different stages of the funnel. SEO is generally further down the funnel compared to other channels, but there is also a range keyword to keyword. Some stuff is very direct. It's like product categories. When people are searching for actual product categories like dog food, then yeah, they are interested in purchasing dog food. They're aware of the need, they're aware of the solution, and they are looking for advice on how to make a purchase. Every business has some of those categories within Google. Now, depending on the size of the market and the category, sometimes it's super niche and sometimes it's massive, but you always want to start with those really direct keywords. And then you're always making these trade-off considerations of how competitive is it? Like if you're building a new CRM and you're going up against Salesforce head-to-head, are you going to get on the first page? Probably not. But hopefully you're in a niche or you have a way to segment down your industry somewhat so you can get to some areas that are not as competitive and you can at least get in the running, uh, which is generally on page one. And then from there, you can build up your authority and expand and get more coverage over time. But, and also go up the funnel. Every, if you get big enough, then yeah, you're going for super broad terms, stuff that's not even directly related to your product. Like you might have a A-B testing tool and that's your SaaS product, but you might start releasing marketing content on funnels and copywriting and conversions and going after all those topics just because you need that broader awareness that's one step up from the purchase decision. That takes a lot of money, a lot of time. It's generally pretty competitive because there's a lot more players in those categories. But when your business is at that stage, then sure, yeah, go after it. But start at the bottom and leave the top of funnel stuff for later. At least that's my preference. Cool. That's great advice. A couple of things I want to add to that too. And talking to, to Ruben Gomez, founder of uh, DocSketch, whom you and I both know, he says that to find bottom of the funnel terms, go to Google AdWords and look at the cost per click. And usually the higher clicks, the higher cost per click is more towards the bottom of the funnel because those are the ones that are actually converting to revenue. The other thing is I wanted to give one example of if someone's never heard of this, these terms, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of the funnel, imagine someone, imagine you are a podcast recording software like Squadcast, right? They're a tiny seed company. Uh, top of funnel might be, how do I start a podcast? Middle funnel might be, how do I record my podcast or record how to record a podcast online? And then bottom of funnel might be Squadcast versus competitor or best yeah. podcast record. You know what I mean? It's you're making their way down. Would you, you agree with those, the assessment? Yeah, most most software categories, especially, they usually follow like a few like typical keyword like templates. Like it's the category alternatives, category services, category tools, category. There's five to ten of these things that you see over and over again. Uh, a little googling in any keyword tool, you'll figure out which ones are the most popular, the fastest, and then go focus on those. Very cool. All right, we have a question from Tony from Cloud Forecast. He says, how much time does it usually take to start ranking for keywords you target? How do you ensure that eventually happens? 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can spend like days, weeks, months on just the how to ensure it happens. That's like my whole job right now. But as far as the, the initial timeline is, uh, let's say, so you pick the keyword, you, you, you do a little, you know, Googling around and you figure out the search intent a little bit. You write a blog post. You think you have a good shot at ranking. You publish. How long does it take uh, before you make any decisions? General rule of thumb, 90 days. So once you go live, don't even make, you don't even really know where the post is going to land for 90 days. So you got to wait. Then after 90 days, you can see where it sits in the rankings. So just keep Googling that same keyword, uh, usually just in an incognito window. And then just start going through the search results. There's ways to automate this stuff. There's a bunch of keyword trackers out there, but you don't have to get fancy. And you want to see where you land. If you are on page one, that is fantastic. Lucky you're off to the races and you can work on climbing that first page, which is a whole other set of stuff you can do. But let's say you're like buried. Then what do you do? It's probably a sign that you really don't have the authority you need in that general category within Google. So it's Google really thinks in like category or topical areas. Every site tends to have authority in one area, but not as much authority in others. That's why like a PC gamer can rank really well with a lot of terms, but they get into other software terms and they struggle. Or, you know, a quick sprout ranks really well in certain marketing topics, but then we get into other business areas and we don't do as well, even though the domain score is just off the charts. It's a fantastic domain. It's really how much authority do you have in a specific area. And if you have a brand new domain, if you have a brand new company and you just most likely just don't have the authority especially if there's any degree of competition. That's most likely the reason why you're getting buried. In which case, you are signing up for the long slog, which I still think is worth it. That's why I do this. <laughs> but for a lot of scrappy small businesses that you know are pretty lean on budget, then you're going to have to make some trade-offs. And honestly, my advice for most SaaS businesses, if you're not getting the rankings that you want, just keep building the business. As you get more customers, as you increase your MRR, as you increase you know, your, your sales pipeline and your lead gen and you release new features, and you do more promotional stuff and you write more content, you will end up building an immense amount of authority in that whatever category you have to be in naturally if you just keep going. So a lot of times the answer is don't force it. This is for a SaaS company specifically because you have so many other cards to play in order to grow the business and then you come back to content and you actually discover uh, assuming that you know you have, you're building a company in a very specific niche and your content's focused on that niche um, it'll end up doing much better over time just naturally as you build a company now yeah there's all sorts of ways to accelerate it and double down and guarantee that you actually move that stuff forward but it's intense it's expensive requires an immense amount of focus and I would actually make the case that most SaaS businesses should not do that because they have other things to worry about. Churn and product market fit. And like, honestly, marketing and SaaS businesses doesn't have to be that good. It just needs to be good enough to not be the problem. There's other things that I'm way more concerned about for SaaS. Um, but my business is 100% SEO. So that's why we go crazy with it. And something you mentioned while you were talking about that is if you rank on the first page, let's say you're number nine or number 10, that's great. Now you have to work on climbing that first page. Yeah. Is that these days, is that just links? Is it what it's always been? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, it's how you, 
it's content and links. That's all it comes down to, in my opinion. It's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> so yep. people like to get it really complicated and oh, we're gonna redirect all these domains and do all this fancy stuff. And I'm just like, no, just don't like, yeah, we, we hate, we don't do any of that shit. First side is the content. One is, and this is something we do that's very differently than most people in programs, is uh, we take the content really seriously to, in two ways. One is it needs to be super fresh because that's what Google prefers. In fact, I think their algorithm is uh, overweights freshness. It's, it's stupid how much it matters. Like you can <laughs> see, like you, you on a competitive term, if you spend any time paying really close attention to search results and you go look at the, like the dates on when everything was published, on competitive terms, everything's been published like within the last week. That's not wow. actually true, right? Everything, yeah. like those pages have been around for years and years and years. But everyone has realized how much freshness matters. So they like, they have to keep it updated. If you play in really competitive circles, like it, it becomes a requirement. And updating weekly is like, I'm not, that's not exaggeration. You actually have to update these things every week if you're in really like competitive circles. And that's like adding a few paragraphs, adding a new section, remove, just yeah, updating adding the value, content yeah, changes. Yeah. Yeah, so you actually, you do have to update the content. You can't just change the date. Google picks up on that pretty fast. And you go fix some typos, you add some extra sentences, you, you condense things, you clean it up, you polish it, and then you, sh you, know, you reship it. So that's one side, you know, because the freshness does matter in Google. So you always have to be pounding that kind of freshness treadmill. But the other side that, that we take really seriously, because we're all, because we focus so heavily on keywords and none of the other promotional stuff, whether it's email or social feeds, that's very calendar driven. You get these pops that come and go. Like we don't have an editorial calendar, not in a conventional sense. Like we don't have dates. We don't have any of that nonsense, but we do have posts and we need to keep those things updated and improving in quality over time in a, in a really deliberate way. Because we know that we rank for a certain term today, we're going to want to rank for it tomorrow and next month and next year and five years from now. Like search term volume and search volume does not change in a big way. It's, it's really consistent, which means we can go really hard on doubling down on that content and really up leveling it over time. So if, like I could go through our update program and what that looks like. And most content teams would be like, that's insane. Why would you ever do it that way? That's what Google wants and it works. Uh, and that's why we do it that way. So one, we always want to be improving our content. And two, the, you know, there is that freshness component of the algorithm. The other side of everything is you do, yeah, go ahead. It sounds like you've got to follow up. Oh, I was just going to ask, um, you talked about content and links and yeah. I think a lot of people will say, how do you build link? What are you, what are you doing? Are you guest posting and linking back? Or are you back in the day, people used to buy links. Like how do you build links these days? Yeah. So that is the other big component is the links. And if you are in a competitive category, fundamentally, you're going to need links and the story. doesn't matter what else you do. You have to find a way to get links. There's a couple of ways to do it, depending on how aggressive you want to be. Uh, like I said, most SaaS businesses, if you just keep really doubling down on your business and just building out like a great blog and doing all that conventional content or inbound marketing type stuff, you'll end up getting there, especially as you build a really large business. But like more specifically, what can you do? I guess posting works. I know Google officially says you shouldn't do it, and uh, but everybody still does it. And it's <laughs> just <laughs> just be careful with it. Don't don't scale it too much. But like a few guest posts here and there, with some very targeted, like one link per post back to you type of deal. That stuff does work. 
and a lot of people do it and for good reason uh you can there's all sorts of outreach games you can play so you know like a lot of the popular ones are finding sites with broken links to sites like yours and then saying hey the link that page is down at 404s right. you have a broken link on your site hey here's a we just put out this research this resource would be perfect as a replacement you mind changing it to us there's a bunch of these things that you just Google around, you'll find all sorts of them. And that stuff does work. You gotta get pretty intense on the volume though, know, because the, the response rates are always like small. <laughs> but but if you really want to grind your way to links, you end up doing something like that. So some crazy guest posting program, some crazy outreach program. As far as buying links, I would uh, tell everyone to never do that. Do not do that. I've been in this space a long time and I don't trust anybody to build links because <laughs> they're, they're fucking, they'll fuck it up. If mm -hmm. it's actually the one way you can destroy a site is with, if you build bad links and you do it wrong, you can totally kill all of your search authority. So the, the risk here is super high. You gotta be really authentic and really careful with how you do it. Uh, that's why guest posting, like you can really keep control of it and make it like very legitimate and not get into any gray water with Google. Same thing with outreach. Like you can still do outreach stuff that's legitimate and is adding value. And yeah, is a you know any outreach or cold email, a little spammy, sure. But you can still find tricks and, and angles where you are actually adding value, like trying to fix some links. Are you doing it in a self-serving way? Sure. But yeah, you're also trying to fix a link on a site, right? So it's there is some value that you're contributing there. Uh, buying links. If you have some vendor, some agency, or someone doing that for you, they're not going to do any of that. <laughs> they are going to find the fastest, sketchiest way to get you whatever link volume that you just purchased, and then they're going to move on to the next client. And you do too much of that for too long, and you will kill your domain. Um, so just stay away from that. I, I don't even touch it. And I, I believe I have the expertise to actually evaluate these folks. And I, I don't find anyone that I actually trust and do it so i just stay away from it entirely yep very cool wise words sir we are over time now we do have a, another question but i think maybe i will answer it in slack afterwards really appreciate you taking time today sir and folks want to yeah, keep up with you to. online yeah are you on twitter are you lars lofgren on twitter yeah yeah lars Lof at lars lofgren you can find me it's a very quiet account so if you follow mm -hmm. me don't me expect any active content but if you ever want to hit me up that's a good way to do it Sounds great, man. Thanks again. Hope to see you in person, maybe in 2021, assuming. Yeah, sometime. Be great. <laughs> great to see you at a microphone or something. All right. Thanks, Rob. All right. We are wrapping up for today. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, as always, to Hay and Stripe for supporting MicroConf. We love having them aboard. They're our 2020 headline partners. If you haven't already, you can head to youtube.com slash microconf. Please, what do they call it? Smash that subscribe button, as the kids say these days. Oh man, it's just, I feel so old. Next week, Wednesday, same time, same place. I will see you here. Thanks for joining me, microconfonair.com.